Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, this morning um, I was scrolling through Facebook, don't judge me, but I saw a post that really caught my eye. And it comes from a gal, and it reads like this. Here's what she wrote, okay? She said, folks, I can't stress this enough. We all have a past. We all fallen short many, many times. Don't ever let anyone ever make you feel less of a person for the mistakes you've made that are covered and forgiven by God's grace. When you know better, you do better. And of course, she uses these hashtags, hashtags end of story, hashtags move on, hashtag forgive one another, hashtag be humble, hashtag acknowledge him, and of course, she uses hashtag grace. Let me say that again. It caught my eye because she says this, we all have a past. Every one of us in this room has fallen so short of God's glory. And yet, I believe at times, we feel like, if you will, we feel like we, we, we haven't. Or we've walked a little bit taller. Or we've walked with Jesus a little bit longer. But we've, we, we need to realize this. And listen, listen, tonight, guys, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. You go, what's that? See, I think there are people all over the world who cannot move forward in life because, now listen to me, they're always reminded of their past. Every time we set our eyes on Jesus, every time we buckle down and say, Pastor, I'm going to follow him, something or someone reminds us that we are not a great follower of Jesus. How so? Based upon the things that we have done or we have, help me church, failed to do. We get reminded all the time, you're this, you're this. Or you go, well, pastor, it's not someone or something. Can we be honest? You go, what's that? Even our own conscience betrays us, often bringing back memories that we would rather forget. And so tonight, guys, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about grace. I'd like to talk about grace for just a moment. The wonderful grace of God. And here's my hope. My hope is that we can somehow connect in some way to those who are in the Bible and realize that our past doesn't dictate our present, it, nor it dictates our future. That our past, guys, doesn't define who we are. You see, it's real important that we are supposed to learn from the things that we've gone through. We're supposed to learn from our past, but what the, what the enemy often wants to do in our past is he wants to allow it to define who we are and where we're going. And we don't make any choices. We look at life a whole different way based upon where you came from. Very interesting subject. Very interesting subject. Like the young lady in her post. She says, we all, every one of us have a past. And we know that we've all fallen short. 
We've all messed up in ways that we'd wished. I mean, we'd never have. We, there are those people who go, man, I just wish I was never born. I've messed up so mad. I've had so many, so many bad choices. But God in his wonderful mercy and his wonderful grace oftentimes steps in. Can I get an amen? And he saves us, guys. He transforms us. And not only that, not only that, he uses us for his glory. That trips me out. That trips me out, that God would use us for his glory. Listen, I'm all wonderful. Great, God, thank you for saving me, man. Thank you for saving me, because I can't save myself. Thank you. But he says, not only that, Ben, but I'm going to use you for my glory, for my glory. So tonight, guys, if you're taking note, we're going to see, we're going to look at a man named Levi. You know him best probably as Matthew, right? The writer of this gospel. Not much is written about Matthew, one verse describing his conversion, but I believe there's more to the story. Tonight, we discover that Matt, there's a man that grew up probably in a good home. He was a good religious person. He walked in humility. He worked hard. He probably had a loving family, great childhood, never really got into trouble, grew up, had a family. He probably had pets, and yet something changed Levi. You say, how so, Pastor? As an adult, he did something that you and I would go, what? You go, what did he do? As an adult, as he grew up and joined the workforce, guys, he joined the forces of Rome. He became a tax collector. Whoa, 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 what are you saying, Pastor? A good Jewish boy would never grow up and join the enemy's army. He would never join. Why? Because tax collectors were an extortionist. They were, I mean, think about it, guys. They were, they were, they were the legal robber who disgraced his whole family. They robbed legally those that he was family with. Family with. Levi, Matthew, are you serious? Yeah, let's, let's talk about Matthew's past for just a little bit, okay? Let's jump into our text, right? Let's jump into our text, and then we'll work our way back and see how the Lord changed him. Look at Matthew 9, 9. All it tells us is this, guys. Matthew 9, 9 says, and Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. That is all we have on Matthew. But think about it. Matthew's own experience with the Lord recorded here, and it's a beautiful example of God's grace. You go, what? How, how so? Well, here's what we know. We know that his name is Levi, the son of Alphaeus. But now Jesus, in a way, changes his name and says, Matthew, right? Matthew, that's what's going to be your name. If you're taking note, guess what it means? It means gift of God. Matthew means gift of God, and you're like, okay, God, all right, apparently the name was given to commemorate his conversion as his call to be a disciple. But before we jump into the conversion of Matthew, let's take a walk down memory lane, if you will, because we need to see that before Levi became Matthew, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, we know that he was a, bum, 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 was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. We're going to jump around for just a bit, so bear with me so we get the full story. I want you to hold your place here, guys, in Matthew. Just go a little bit to the right. Look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 in just, again, a few pages to the right. Mark chapter 2. 
and verse 13 and 14. Here's the same account, a different writer. It says, then he went out again by the sea and the multitude came to him and he taught them. Okay. As he passed by, Jesus saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Your attention, please. In Matthew's gospel, he employs his name, Matthew, which means gift of God. Mark actually employs the name Levi. You go, well, Ben, what does Levi mean? Well, if you're taking note and you're that type of Bible student, you might want to circle that and go, okay, what does Levi mean? It means attached or pledged. Pledged or attached. Okay, that's what Levi means, right? Pledged or attached. And it was common for Hebrew boys to have two names, right? Levi, Matthew. Jesus passes by the top, by the tax office. He sees, now check this out. He sees a Hebrew man. He sees a Jewish man sitting in the tax collector's office, right? And his name is Levi. And the Bible says that he's the son of Alphaeus. And we go, well, what is Alphaeus? Well, we don't know yet. We don't know much about Alphaeus. But Matthew, guys, undoubtedly grew up in the region of Galilee there. And he was probably, as we can tell, a good Jewish boy. Nothing is really mentioned about his dad. But we think about those who grew up in the region around the time of Jesus. Well, like what? I want you to think about Matthew. Let's go back before we see him at the at the IRS building, okay? Let's go back just a little bit. You go, well, like what? Well, think about when he was a little boy, okay? Think about, I mean, he he probably grew up much like we did, right? For the most part, he grew up with what? With a good home and loving parents. He grew up a good Jewish boy. He probably had pets to play with. Right? He lived around the Sea of Galilee, right? So that was amazing. He probably loved to go swimming in there. And if you go with us in February, you'll actually get to walk and swim in a little bit in the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it's just, it's so amazing. I mean, think about Matthew. That's where he was. This is what we did. Hey, what do you want to do today, Matthew? Hey, what do you want to do? Let's go, Levi. Let's go swimming. And, and kids are having fun. That's kind of what they did. And and so he probably loved it. And he probably fished, right? Because that's what they did. Now, he, he wasn't probably very good at it, right, Santos? He wasn't good at fishing. Why? Well, you go, Matthew didn't make a career of it, right? You think about James and you think about John, Peter, Andrew. These were fishermen. They grew up around the same area, right? Matthew, ah, uh, he, he was probably not very good. He was probably not very good. He's like, yeah, I love to fish, but it's, it's really not for me. I could imagine, I could imagine Elpheus's just delight when little Levi was born. Oh, Mazel tov, it's a boy, a son is born. A son who will, with God's help, be the source and the pride and the joy of his family and the entire Jewish people. I could imagine. It brings back memories of when your children are born and you're so excited and you're sitting there and you're like, whoa, it's a baby, right? I mean, because before we don't know. And, and so it comes out and you're just what? You're just praying to the Lord Jesus, please let it be healthy. Please let it have. And, and, and it come out and you're so excited and dad's so excited. But it's a boy. It's a boy. I love my girls, but it's a boy. And so what happens is that he, he, here it is. Here he is. Here's. Here's Levi, and so along comes the birth of a son, and come several customs in the Jewish nation, 
right? So we'd have to ask, at what point, right? At what point does this little boy begin to learn the Torah, right? The Torah is what? The first five books of the Bible. So at what point? Now, here's what I want you to think about this. When a child begins to speak, the father should begin teaching him the verses of the Torah, okay? That's the first thing. You go, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, I think it's such a great application for us. Now, I look around, and there's a lot of us who are going, okay, well, my, my kids are all grown. I get it. But, but when you have little ones, the moment that they could speak is probably the best time for you to be giving them the word of God. Giving them the word of God. That's what they would do. The first words, Matthew, da-da. All right, you need to start learning the word of God. And he would start pouring into him the Torah. I think that's a great application for us. You go, Ben, well, my kids are a little bit older. I still think the principle is true. We should always be pouring in God's word to our kids. Pastor, my kid is 31 years old. My kid is 41. My kid is 26. My kid, we should always be, help me church, pouring in the word of God. Guys, the magazines, the periodicals, things that are, things that, that are wrapped up, I mean, the, the internet, the cell phone, the social media, that's not going to help them in the foundation of life. It's going to be the word of God that's going to keep them safe and secure. We have to be so careful. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, you, you guys see it in our own world, in our own custom. You go into a restaurant, you sit down, and, and there are no kids crying anymore at restaurants. You go, yes, there are. No, there aren't. Why? Because they all got their phone. They're all busy. I wonder what the Lord thinks about that. He says, you should be pouring in the word of God. Well, I do. I give them my phone. I give them the Bible app. No, no, no. It's our job. Anyway, I digress. I go back to the scripture. Okay. Perhaps the child does not yet comprehend what he's saying, yet he begins to build an appreciation and a respect for the Torah. So again, that's what's going on. At the age of three marks another milestone for the child's education. At this age, it's customary to start training the boy in the titzit and the holiday candles. Children were taught to recite the morning blessings. You guys remember that? Grace after meals and the Shema before retiring. The obligation to start training children to do all of the to mitzvah began somewhere between the ages of six and nine, depending on the nature of the children. So anywhere when they started at the, at the ripe old age of three... They begin learning and reciting prayers. How many of you know the Shema? Hear, O Israel, right? The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? They had to memorize that with all your soul and all your strength. They Three years old. Okay, here's what we're going to do before we go to bed. You need to be praying. You need to be praying. You need to be praying. At the age of 13, guess what would happen? By the time a boy reached 13, he would, he would have the bar mitzvah, right? respectively, the child or actually the new adult. Can you imagine your 13-year-old being adult? He would be obligated at that point to fulfill God's command. You go, Pastor, I've got a question. What's the point? Here's the point. Listen, Levi would have grown up just like this. 
at three year old, at three year old, Levi would know the what? The Shema. He would know, he would be beginning the journey as a man, as a Jewish man, with, with, with honoring and worshiping Elohim. He would be worshiping God. That's how he grows up. Right? By the age of 13, Levi would be obligated to fulfill all the commandments of God. And he would, every day and every night, repeat the Shema. The Shema. So Levi slash Matthew was a normal youngster just like us. Well, you go, Ben, I didn't grow up learning religious stuff. I mean, but, but think about it, guys. We grew up in the same way. You go, what do you mean? With the help of our parents to guide us, we lived a normal life. We did normal things. We rode our bikes to the 7-Eleven. Right? We played out till it got dark. We enjoyed all of these, just these, these things growing up. And for the most part, if we're honest, we were conscious of God and religion. We knew. We learned about God. We heard about church. We even went to church. Some of us actually grew up in church. And even if you didn't get saved until a later age, like me at 17, guess what? I still knew the concept of God in the home. Whether it was a ritualistic prayer, right? Or whether it was whatever it might be, this is how we grew up. But guys, listen. Think about Matthew for just a moment. Something changed. Something changed. Why? Because now we see Levi as an adult... And when we're introduced to him, he's a tax collector. He's a tax collector, right? Now, let's be honest. When I look at your faces and I say, he's a tax collector, that doesn't register anything to you. You're like, "Ah, okay. Is he the guy in the IRS that calls me and say, you need taxes? No, no, no. Think about this, okay? Think about this. Look at me over here, okay? Early on, good Jewish boy learning the Shema, learning all the, the commands of God, being a good Jewish boy, Israel, hero Israel, there's one God, we're going to follow God, he's the way to go. And now we see him as an adult, and he's a tax collector, a tax collector. You go, Pastor, you said that. What does that mean? Well, let me see if I can open our eyes to what that really means, okay? You guys ready? During the time of Jesus in the first century, there were what we call publicans and tax collectors who could walk up to a man and tax him for what he was carrying and much more. You go, what do you mean? Let's say that I was coming and I was a tax collector, a publican, and Brother Joe Mabry was outside and he was carrying a pitcher of water simply to water the flowers like he does every Wednesday and Sunday. Good job, Joe. And I looked at him and I said, hey, you're carrying water there. I need to tax that. You think Joe's going to go, oh, I've been waiting for you, Mr. Taxman. Wow, how much? Sure, I've got extra. Joe's going to look at me with what? He's going to look with me with disdain. He's going to look at me with... That's exactly what they would do, guys. Think about it, okay? They would walk up and and I could tax him. You see, these tax collectors were hated and despised because they they were usually fellow Jews who worked for Rome. 
And what I want you to picture for just a moment is I want you to picture your next door neighbor who you knew forever, who you grew up with. All of a sudden, he now works for Rome. Rome. The oppression of Rome. I can't believe you took a job with Rome. Why Rome? And, and so again, remember, they were not, they weren't just like, well, I don't like my neighbor. Hey, I'm not going to invite him over for tea. They hated them. You see, in order for Rome to rule with an iron fist like they did, in order for them to administrate this mega Roman Empire, these taxes had to be paid. In order for them to make good roads, have order and security, and have religious freedom, they needed a certain amount of self-government and other benefits, right? In order to collect the taxes, the publicans employed subordinates who, for their own end, were often guilty of extortion and embezzlement. You go, what do you mean? Here's what they would do. They would go to Brother Joe and say, Joe, I'm going to tax you $25 for carrying that water. But it's not my water, Ben. It doesn't matter. I'm going to tax you $25. Now, I would take $5 and I'd give that to Rome. And then I would take the 20 and put it in my pocket. Now, I do that to Joe. It's no big deal. You made 20 bucks. But what if I did that on a grand scale to everyone who I saw out there and I'm taking home... Lots and lots of money. There's a lot of extortionists and a lot of embezzlement. How how popular do you think I'm going to be in the city of Jerusalem? Think about it, guys. Now listen, listen. In order for Rome to maintain order and power the very taxes that Matthew collected that went to Rome, they in turn would use that money to grow and fund a massive army who ruled with an iron fist. So if you resisted Rome, guess where you found yourself? On a cross. If you said, no, down to Rome, Brother Joe, Brother Santos, Brother Bob, let's go out with your head, and we would... Because... You don't mess with Rome. You don't mess with Rome. You go, okay, Ben, I, I, I see that. But, but listen, Israel also had many, many other reasons to hate tax collectors. But one of the, one of the major reasons was when Rome sieged a city or a country, right, they would often take privileges that wasn't theirs. You go, what do you mean? All of a sudden, when they sieged something, they would, you'd hear a knock on the door. They would come in, this city is now ours, and they would take privilege. You go, what do you mean? They would like take sodas out of the fridge that wasn't theirs? No, no, no. They would take your wife and your daughter and rape them and kill your sons and your husbands. You go, seriously? Yes, exactly. So if they had their eye on you, can you imagine? I'm not opening the door for Rome, but they're coming in and they're busting everything down. What is my mind thinking? Why are you, t- look what you did to my daughter. Look what you did to my wife. You killed my son. I barely escaped. You think I'm going to be friends with Rome in the Roman army? I hate them. I hate them. And anyone who would work for them, I hate them too. Now we introduce you to Matthew. That's what Matthew's doing. Matthew, Seriously? Seriously. You see, Matthew probably, now the Bible doesn't say, 
but probably had become very hated as a tax collector, a trader, and an extortionist. How would you like that to be your job? How would you like to walk into your local, in our day and age, your local Walmart or United, and everybody flee from you, and everybody be talking about you, and they look at you and they just think they just despise you? They look at you and they think, oh, what a loser. I can't believe that. No, no, that's, that's Levi. Levi and I, we used, to, we used to play football together. We were on the high school team. This is amazing, but I don't know what happened. Now he works for Rome. And you know what I heard? I heard that the Roman army went in and besieged the city next to us. And they just took advantage of everybody. I killed my friend's dad. They walked in and they just took what they wanted. They didn't even ask. You see, you see, my friend's parents, they had worked all of their lives to, to really build a good, a good home and they had a nice TV and they had a nice, you know, they had a little nest egg and they just a real comfortable home and Romans came in and they just took everything off the wall and just took it with them. They didn't even ask. They didn't even ask. And Levi, there he is. There he is. How would you like to be Levi? You're like, man, wow. So at this point, I'd have to stop and ask, by the sake of our study, what happened to Levi? What happened to Matthew? How did he go from Israel, God? How come he couldn't just be a fisherman? He went and he joined the other team. He joined the enemy. He's, he's collecting tax. What if, what if the Bible doesn't say, but what if Levi was just that extortionist that just took money? And, and I mean, there, think about this, guys. Levi's house is the nice one with everything, the big one. And there you are just trying to make enough to eat today. Oh, Levi. What happened to Levi? What happened to Levi? Now, here's what I need you to understand. As a good Jewish boy, Levi understood that God fought for Israel. You guys understand that, right? God fought for Israel. But for some reason, Rome was ruling Israel. And, and they were ruling them pretty harsh. And I wonder if Levi at any moment starts to guess. He goes, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. If God, you fight for us, help me, church, because this is all of us. Where are you? God, listen, if you fight for Israel, Rome is, God, God, don't you see what's going on? Don't you see what Rome does? And I wonder if at that point, his heart became very, very hard. Very, very hard. Where is God in this moment? Guys, let's chat for just a moment. Can we relate to that or what? You go, what do you mean? Many people that have walked away from a real relationship with Jesus have experienced the very same things. You go, what do you mean? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down, okay? Jot this down. This is so important. People we know that have had that that have had a real relationship at one point have now walked away. Could be for number one, 
a misrepresentation of who God is in our lives. You see, the world is looking at your life and you stand and you go, I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but they don't understand the grace in my life. They don't understand the grace in your life. And they see a misrepresentation of what you say and how you behave. Ooh, oh, pastor, you didn't think you were going to step on my toes. Or, or how about this? Maybe there was a circumstance where they felt that God should have protected them from something. We all feel like that. You know, when I read this and I jotted it down, my mind went back to 9-11. Do you guys remember 9-11 where many people died and, and people were saying at that point, here's what happened to our country. We all rallied and churches were full for a little bit. But at the end of that, people were saying, well, where was God in this? Didn't God, God could have stopped the planes from crashing and so forth and so forth and so forth. And so there are a lot of people who said, oh, okay. There was a circumstance, or is there a circumstance in your life where you felt God should have done something and you felt like he didn't? Or maybe you felt like he, he, you know, at one point God should have changed a circumstance or at least showed up on your behalf. I wonder if that's how Levi felt. I wonder if Levi's like, God, at least show up. You know, Rome is about to, oh my goodness, we have a quota. A person, maybe maybe this happened to somebody, a person who we respected as a follower of Jesus shows true signs of being a sinner and derails our faith in God. Let me, let me say that again, okay? Maybe it's a person who you respected. You go, man, that's a follower of God. He we, we realize he shows true signs of being a sinner and that derails our faith in God. You see, it was around 1999 and the church that we had attended for many years, the pastor had just come out publicly and confessed that there was a moral failing on his part. Now, we had long since moved. We were trying to find our place in New Mexico, and we had kind of went, and, and something wasn't right, and he stood behind the pulpit, and he didn't give details. All he said is that, I'm not your pastor anymore, and he, he gave somebody else the pastor, but I've got to tell you what, you had a church of about 1,500 people quickly, quickly, quickly derail. And you go, well, why was that? Because a lot of people's faith, listen to me, was in the pastor and not God. And a lot of people's faith was in the, in the person of the pastor, and it wasn't in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because if it's a pastor or anybody else, if, if we fall, we have to realize, people have to realize that they, we are just as human as anybody else, and your faith shouldn't be dependent on what I do or what I don't do or any of the assistant pastors here. Your faith is dependent on who God is. But we'll take that and we'll say, oh, well, he's in the Bible all day long. And if something happens to him, oh, well, I guess, whew, wow. And it derails our faith. And the church just dwindled down to nothing. 
And you know who I see laughing in the corner? The devil. <laughs> I did it. I did it. You've got to ask your, if you get nothing else out of this Bible study, your faith has to be rooted in who Jesus is and nothing else. And nothing else. Guys, I think there are many people who left their first love with Jesus because they truly didn't understand the fallen world we live in. If we understand, and and listen, that's going to, when we jump into our Genesis study, you're going to see how fallen our world really is and how, how the keys were being transferred over at that point that Adam sinned. It fractured everything. And if we understand that, then we walk with Jesus, even though, guys, there might be some storms in our life that we were hoping that God would show up in. Would show up in. Josh and I were talking today, and we were talking about what kind of person we'd like to be, in a sense. I mean, are, we a, are you a real, are you, are you a real um, optimist? Or are you a real pessimist? I mean, I mean, seriously, you go, well, that's silly, Pastor. How's, how's that joke go? Do you see the glass half empty or half full? How do you see it really, though? Because a lot of us see the glass half empty, and that's how we look at everything. Why do you see the, ha- the, why do you see the glass half empty? Why do you see the glass half empty? Well, you don't understand. Listen, when I got water two years ago, I mean, this is what happened. I mean, in your past is dictating how you see things. And then Josh mentioned, he said, hey, what about having a good attitude? And I said, perspective and attitude are Siamese twins, don't you think? If we can have the perspective of God and have the attitude, how God sees things, I think we'd go, we're half glass full, people. We're half, this is full. This is amazing. This is amazing. True confession, I often find myself on the other end. Because, because people disappoint you. Circumstances disappoint you. Your past tries to dictate and determine how you see things. And I'm driving in my car of life, and instead of looking at the big windshield to where we're going, I often focus on what is behind. Hurt often dictates how we live. Hurt from a previous relationship, hurt from, from something that happened will dictate how we see things in the future. And I want to take a step back from the hurt. I know it's hard, but I want to take a step back from the hurt. And I want to say, God, God, show me your perspective on my life so that I can live a life that is pleasing to you and I can live a life that's happy and peaceful. How do you see me? Ben, yes, sir. I'm not done with you yet. I've got so much more for you. Really, Lord? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Do you believe it? Mm, I, I think so. I think, yeah, no, not really, God. Ben, why don't you believe it? I, I haven't seen it. I haven't, I haven't, you haven't seen it. What have you been looking at? Ben, there's a fallen world, but I've got a, I've got a great plan for your life. 
Brother Joe, there's a fallen world, but I've got a great plan for your life. Joe Harris, hang in there, brother, because God's had a great plan for your life. It's going to blow your mind. And I wonder if Matthew, guys, had followed that same path. I wonder if Matthew got old enough and he couldn't find a good job. He's not a fisherman nor a carpenter. So he said, well, I'll just do business. And the next thing you know, there he is sitting in a, in a tax office. Maybe Levi, Matthew, whatever you want to call him, justified himself before his fears. And you go, well, like what? I wonder, I mean, does Matthew go about his business with a demonic scowl on his face? Does he spew forth obscenities and stench on every breath? No. No, he probably appears just like you and me. He works hard. He has a family. He loves his children. He has pets. He laughs and has fun at parties. But he might be a great neighbor, generous at times, helpful to senior citizens. Does he think himself quite evil? Perhaps not. Perhaps he sees Rome as a great force of civilization upon a nasty, unruly realm. He might say, quote, we have bloody, you know, people might say, we have the bloody Romans. What have the bloody Romans ever done for us? And the people will rage and... And people would say, well, there's the aqueduct. There's the streets are safe at night, right? The Roman, the Roman army here, there's fresh water is nice. The libraries are helpful. The paved roads are nice. The criminal justice system works. The sea lanes are safe from pirates, the literature, the art, the architecture, the building, the protection. Israel takes from Rome, but is unwilling to give back for their saving, for the saving of their lives. And he might be thinking, if, if Rome is so evil then why does God allow it to rule over Israel? He says, and besides, what if the lion merchants rob the people who are blind? I was jostled in my memory to one particular tax collector, right? Because, because Matthew might have, the Bible doesn't say, I want to make that clear. Matthew might have said, well, here's how I justify Matthew, I can't believe you're a tax collector. Blah, 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 blah. What has Rome ever done? And he's going, no, wait, 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 wait. Right? He, he might have justified to his peers and his family and his friends. But I think of one other ca- tax collector in the story. Right? And he lost the ability to justify himself before God. Perhaps he realized that those he robbed, perhaps olive collections weren't so righteous. And he remembers maybe a widow who lost her home. He remembers the children cast out into the streets after he had dragged his father away in chains. The story is found, if you're taking note, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. The Bible says two men went up to the temple to pray. Who were they? One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God! I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Guys, we all have a story to tell. We all have good within us, and made, we're all made in the image of God. We all have evil from our own choices mixed with the wickedness of those who have wounded us. If you cannot see this about yourself, then you must kneel next to the Pharisee in Jesus' story. You see, none of us will be able to stand before a perfect and holy God in our own righteousness. His glory, his power, his presence will should bring us all to our knees. And sometimes the tax collector type can see this before the goodish religious type. And I'm thinking, may we all choose humility and acceptance and accept the righteousness he provided in the sacrifice of his son. I'm thinking, wow. Which one are you in the story? Are you the Pharisee that says, God, I thank you that I'm not like, and you can make a list, or are you sitting here going, God, I'm a sinner. I just need you. Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. You see, life changes now for Matthew. Look at verse 9 in Matthew's gospel once again. It says, And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose, and he followed him. Guys, the two greatest words spoken that Jesus could ever say, notice he says, Follow me. You see, I think of Matthew at this point, and maybe he was tired, and maybe he was worn out. Maybe the Holy Spirit of God had been prodding him for a while. Maybe he heard about Jesus and told him, if he, if he calls me, I'll go. And then Jesus walks by, looks at Matthew, and he doesn't say a whole lot, does he? He just says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Understanding how almost everyone hated tax collectors Don't you think it's remarkable to see how Jesus loves and calls Matthew? Because you and I would step aside and go, Jesus, hold on, Jesus, come here. Can I I talk to you for a second? Um, Matthew's a tax, look, Jesus, I'm I'm over here. Hey, uh, Matthew's a tax collector. You don't want him on your team. Jesus, you, you know what Rome is doing, right? Would you question Jesus' calling of Matthew because you know who he is? Not Jesus. Jesus, full of grace and mercy, looks at Matthew. He says, follow me. Follow me. Can, can I stop at a point in the Bible study right here and say, ask you, how do you see people? Do you see them through the beautiful eyes and the lenses of Jesus? Or do you see them how the world has portrayed them. Oh, look at that guy. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. Oh, no. no, no. Do, do you see people as souls? As souls? Do you see them? I mean, again, guys, these are just shells. These are just shells. These are going to go on the ground. Do you see people as souls where your, your heart is breaking for those who are lost?
be careful with our culture because our culture will say, hey, these are the people that we just, we kind of hang out with, right? We all get in our holy huddle and we sing Kumbaya. Be careful with all the outsiders or do you see them going, God, you need to save them. You need to save them. Got to save them, God. You got to save them. Man, I think, I think it was a well-placed love, don't you? God's grace. Matthew responded to Jesus' invitation. He responded to Jesus' invitation. What did he do, guys? He left his tax-collecting business, and he followed Jesus, and eventually writing the same gospel account. Now, here's what I want you to think about. In one way, this was more than a sacrifice than some of the other disciples made. You go, what do you mean? Think about it, okay? Put your thinking caps on. Peter, James, and John could easily go back to their fishing business. Matthew leaving this business would make it very hard for him to come back. Jesus said, follow me. Okay, Dad, I'm going to go follow the Lord for a while. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to come back. Think about this, guys. Our, our motto, mantra, whatever you want to call it for 2018 is that we want to get out of the boat. Amen? Amen. We want to get out of the boat. What recourse do we have once we get out of the boat? You see, it's a sacrificial step because we're either swimming back or we're walking back. But nonetheless, we're walking on water. And once you get out of the boat, where is your salvation? Now listen, there are times when we go, I'm going to get out of the boat. Alice, I'm getting out of the boat. Um, hand me my life vest. Hand me, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that this way if I get out and I drown, I'm not going to drown. And we want all of these things, but yet Jesus calls us to get out and sacrificially go. I mean, that's what Matthew did. Matthew, leave the tag. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Guys, if, if you're taking note, follow me means forgiveness, doesn't it? Jesus didn't say, follow me, Santos. Go clean yourself up. Go get, no, 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 no. Clean up, take a bath, shower. He said, follow me. It means forgiveness. Can I get an amen? You know what it also means? It means restoration. That's what God is planning on doing. He's restoring. Josh and I, we talk too much, I guess. But Josh and I talked the other day about taking something and just restoring it, like an old car, you know, just see how it restores back to how needed. That's what he does in our lives. He takes the old, broken down, beaten, and he says, I'm going to restore that. And he starts with a little bit of paint, a little bit of polish, a little bit of new stuff, a new heart. And pretty soon he restores. Follow me means life. It means grace. It means grace. Guys, today, guys, listen, today Jesus is still speaking those words. No matter what your past is, no matter how you grew up, today Jesus speaks, follow me, follow me. He doesn't just want you guys to to be a Christian in name only. He wants you to be his disciple. He wants you to get out of the boat and say, I'm going to follow you, God. What do you have for me? What do you have for me? Matthew heard the call and understood. What did he do? He surrendered his life completely. He began his newfound faith that night. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with the last few verses, guys. I want to close with that. Look at verse 10. 
Now it happened, right? Okay, so Matthew saved following Jesus. Now it happened, Matthew had a dinner, and Jesus sat at the table in the house. And behold, listen, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners and to repentance. Fox's, books of, Fox's book of martyrs tells us that Matthew, after he converted to Ethiopia and all of Egypt, Hyrcanus, the king, sent someone to kill Matthew with a spear. That's how he said Matthew died. Here's what I find interesting. Levi means attached or pledged. Matthew means gift of God. If we put his names together, what it means, pledged to be God's gift. Pledged to be God's gift. How cool is that? Listen. God is calling you guys to be a world changer with two simple words. Follow me. Imagine for a second what your life could be sold out for the Lord when we're willing to leave the things we thought we would miss. God can restore relationships, move on our behalf. God can set you free. Let me just say this to you. Ready? What starts here changes the world. What starts here changes the world. Let me say this to you. Don't let your past dictate who you are. But let it be a part of who you will become. Don't let others define you. Don't let, don't let the past confine you. Take charge of your life with confidence and determination. And there are no limits what you can do or be. Simply because Jesus says, follow me. Father, your grace is amazing and wonderful. I thank you for Matthew. I thank you, God, that we can learn about Matthew. Lord, so many, Lord, listening by radio or even the podcast, Lord, can't seem to get past what their past has, has been. Even myself at times, Lord, struggle with those things. So thank you, God, that we can see a man like Levi, whom you didn't judge but simply called. And yesterday's gone, sweet Jesus, and tomorrow may never be mine. So Lord, today, I pray that we would hear those beautiful two words that you speak to us and say, follow me, follow me, follow me. And that Lord, our hearts, God, our hearts would just explode in excitement with what you have for us. 
And Lord, that we don't see our Wednesday night with a church that says, oh Lord, it's half empty. But we see our Wednesday night going, God, you're going to do something with the people that are here. And it's with godly expectations that you want to move in our lives. You want to move in our hearts. And you want to build this church, God, far bigger than ever. And with godly expectation, guys, we're going to keep inviting and we're going to keep trying to, to knock down that stronghold that's in Lubbock, Texas, so that people can come and get saved and learn and grow in your word. And they can join our family. Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.